Have you ever been confused when you feel like you need to be specific with God as it relates to your needs or to the needs of your family or to the needs of others and you just didn't know how to even express that to Him? Have you ever felt that way? The answer for our prayer problems and for us to be able to defeat the struggles that we so often have in prayer is not an experience or a breakthrough, but it's a person. It's the person of the Holy Spirit. And if you are interested this morning in seeing a revolutionized and an energized prayer life, then I've got the word of the Lord for you today. Because I believe that there are some things that are happening not only in our congregation... And in the lives of families and in the lives of individuals. But there are things that are taking place in the lives of those that are in your sphere of influence that don't come to our church. That desperately need us to be a praying people. I've been challenged in my heart and you're going to hear more about this as we go through these next several weeks. I've been challenged in my heart that we are letting God down in the sense that we do not ask big enough when it comes to prayers. That there are things that he wants to do. But he can't do because we don't ask him to do it. And he waits for his people to stand up and say, I want to do great things. And so I'm going to ask that you would turn, first of all, to Jude chapter or Jude chapter one. There's only one chapter in verse 20. And it says, but you, dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith. And pray in the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to ask that you would put a little something there so that you can return to that verse in a little bit. And then turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6 verse 18. In Ephesians 6:18, the scripture declares, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions and with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind... Be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Put something in there so that you can refer to that in a little bit. And turn with me to Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. I want you to know something. If there's ever something you need to underline in your scripture, it's that verse. There is help for us. In our weakness. Says we do not know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us. With groans that words cannot express. And He who searches our hearts. And knows the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints. In accordance with God's will. Heavenly Father I pray that over these next few moments. That you would begin to unlock the truth of your word to us. I ask, Lord, that you would begin to touch our minds, that we might not just hear what the Word says, but that there would be something that would seep down into our soul and that there would be an understanding of how it relates to our life and to the way in which we live. Father, I am aware today that there are people within our church that are here that are burdened. They are here and their faith has been clouded. Many of them are in areas of testing. And they're not sure what to do. Some of us here represent other people and family members that we know desperately need an interaction with the living God. And today, Lord, I ask 
that through your word that you would begin to give us direction on how we can pray and what we must do, O Lord Jesus, and encourage us in the aspect of prayer. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. As we looked at the Scriptures this morning, you see the terms to pray in the Spirit or pray by the Spirit are phrases that focus us on the prayer partnership that we are meant to live with the Holy Spirit. There are three key ways in which the Holy Spirit wants to partner with us in prayer. And I'd like to focus our attention on the first one today. The Holy Spirit stirs us to pray. The Holy Spirit stirs us to pray. There are a lot of us that as we receive Christ as our Savior and begin to grow in the Lord, we begin to view prayer. And as we grow in the Lord more and more, we begin to even solidify this thought more and more that prayer is our idea. And that prayer is something that we must initiate. That if we don't pray, that God's not speaking and that He's not interested unless we come running to Him all of the time. But let me be honest with you. Most of the time when we come running to the Lord, it's because we are in a jam or we are in an emergency. Last Friday night, we were playing softball. We were playing against a team that while they wore the church logo on their shirt, I'm not certain all of them had a relationship with Christ. And our third baseman was running for a pop-up and it just clipped the top of his glove and it smacked him right in the middle of his forehead and on the top of his nose and it dropped him to his knees right in front of their dugout. And as we ran over there, the first thing that I hear is the girl that was on their sideline come running to the fence and she stands there and she goes, Oh, Jesus Christ! And I'm laying my hands on them and she, then I hear her say, Oops, this is a church league. I'm not supposed to say that. And I said, no, as a matter of fact, we use that name all the time when we're praying. And now's a really good time to use his name in prayer. And she just stood there and looked at me like. And I begin to wonder how many times we hear his name, whether it's taken in vain or whether it's taken seriously. But a lot of times that's the first thing that comes to people's mind when there's an emergency. And I want you to know we are very good at responding to the prompting of the Lord in prayer when we are completely out of our own control and we don't know what to do. And so prayer for many people is something that we feel like we have to get God's attention. Lord, I'm coming to you today and I want you to recognize me and recognize my need. And here I am. I hope I'm capturing your attention. Because we want Him to give us divine intervention. And we want Him to recognize us when we are in need. But I want you to understand something today. Prayer does not start with us knocking down God's door. Prayer does not start that way. In fact, prayer starts with God knocking on your door. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, there's a passage of Scripture that many of us have heard many times, but I would like to put this into a context for you. The Scripture says, Jesus speaking, Here I am. I want you to know I love it when the Lord's first words to us are, Here I am. Does that sound like a God who's ready to be found? In fact, it doesn't even sound like a God who's hiding. It sounds like a God who's standing out in the wide open of your life saying, Would you just open your eyes? I'm here for you. He says, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. 
If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Now, oftentimes we have limited this passage of Scripture to an evangelism outreach, believing that it's the Lord standing there knocking, that if you'll open, He'll come in, and that there'll be a relationship. And while it is appropriate to apply it in that way, I want you to understand that the context in which it was written was written to Christians to have fellowship with Christ. In other words, you can have a relationship with the Lord and still keep the door of fellowship with Jesus closed when He stands there knocking, asking you to talk with Him. The idea that we have to bombard and yell and scream to get His attention is not biblical. The idea is that He is constantly knocking to get your attention. That you would have relationship with Him. It's about having a relational connectedness to God. And so the Holy Spirit stirs us to a fellowshipping prayer. A fellowship is one in which you have something in common. You talk as friends. And there are some people, especially new Christians, that wonder, how, how, what do I say to God? You know, how, do I have to come before Him and say, Oh, most holy one that sits in the heavens. And they're afraid to pray because they don't know what to say. Talk to Him like He's your friend. Tell Him what's on your heart. Explain to him the way you feel and what you're thinking. Because he'll be the best friend that you'll ever have. There's a little booklet that it's called My Heart, Christ's Home. And Robert Munger, who had the same discovery as he writes about a man who just had accepted Christ. And he begins to say, Lord, I want you to reorganize every room of my heart. And he began to discuss the aspects or his, the circles of his life as different rooms. Lord, the, the room of my life that includes my occupation, reorganize that. The room of my life that includes my interests and hobbies, reorganize that. The room of my life that includes the relationship I have with church people, reorganize that. And with my family and my marriage, reorganize those the way that you want to, Lord. And as a result of asking God to do that, he found a place in his own home where the Lord says, this is the place where I would like to have an appointment with you every day. And so he agreed to meet in that place within his own living room and have companionship and to do life with Jesus. But he discovered that as his life became more and more hectic, his times with Jesus became more and more sporadic. Until one day as he's rushing out of his house to go to work, he looked over at the chair where he normally has his times of prayer and devotion. And he says, I could see spiritually Jesus sitting there in that chair. And he was just waiting and he said, I felt so convicted that I had neglected my special guest. And I begin to apologize to Jesus. I'm saying, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And he says, I felt in the Spirit, this is what the Lord said to me. He says, the trouble is that you've been thinking of the quiet time and the Bible study and his prayer as a means for your spiritual growth only. He says, and while this is true, he felt Jesus say to him, but you have forgotten that that time means something to me as well. Remember that I love you. At a great cost, I have redeemed you. I value your fellowship. Just to have you look into my face and just to have you speak to me and just to have you mention my name warms my heart. Don't neglect this hour, not because of your guilt in talking to me, but don't neglect it for my sake, because I just want to be with you. Whether or not you want to be with me, remember, I really, really love you.
And I want to be with you. And as I heard that and I read that story, I began to think how many times we beat ourselves up with guilt thinking that it's our responsibility and we've got to run to Him and that if we ignore Him, He says, it's no big, no big deal because you're just not going to get what I had for you today. But on the other side of this is a Savior that loves you so much. Your time with Him means more to Him than it means to you. Because He so desperately loves you and wants to be with you in a fellowshipping prayer. The Holy Spirit also stirs us to a fighting prayer. How many of you know that the greatest battles are not physical? They're not financial? They're not relational? Our greatest battles are spiritual. I've had a family call me this week and ask that I would be in prayer with them because of some relational things that were going on with the extended family. And they begin to name names of people. They said, if you could specifically pray for this individual or this individual, here's their names because just pray that God would do something. And I begin, as I begin to pray for them, begin to think that we oftentimes put faces with battles because we see people. In relationships of husbands and wives, as you pray for one another that, that, Lord, just do something and you put faces to that. But the Spirit would have us understand that these battles are not relational or physical, they are spiritual and there's things taking place in the spiritual realm that we cannot see that God knows all about. The enemy uses people. He uses faces. He uses circumstances. He uses situations to try to get to us. But behind the scenes in a realm that we do not yet see, there's a spiritual war that's taking place and the Lord encourages each of us to understand what it means to go into fighting prayer. For him. I will admit to you, I've not been the biggest proponent of, of what they call spiritual warfare, but there's an aspect of this that we as the church need to begin to understand and need to begin to take our place because, frankly, I'm tired of having sad Christians that don't think anything can change when we need bold Christians who will pray in the name of Jesus and through the Spirit and watch God change things in the physical realm because He changed it in the spiritual realm. Some of you are tired of fighting. Some of you get up on Sunday morning and you wonder whether it's even worth coming to church or not. And you think, I might as well just give up because nothing's ever going to change. It's time to be bold in the name of the Lord. And stand up and grab hold of yourself and say, I will plant myself in the environment where God can do something in my life. And I'll present my situation to Him in the name of Jesus and let Him work on my behalf. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 says, for our struggle, I want you to understand that immediately the Lord recognizes that there are going to be struggles in our life. If you're new in Christ and you've recognized that you thought when Jesus came into your life that suddenly there would be no more problems, it doesn't take very long to recognize that we still live in a physical world. That the rain falls on the just and the unjust. What we know is that we don't ever have to walk alone again and that this world is not our final home. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and authorities and the powers of this dark world 
and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. I want you to underline some words within this verse because it begins to concrete within us the seriousness of what's happening here. He says, our struggles that we are facing in the spiritual realm, here's, who behind, here's who's behind them. Rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world, and forces of evil. That does not sound like an army that's easy to defeat on your own. It very clearly states to us that Satan and his demons and the enemy of your soul is unleashing everything he's got at you. He's not holding anything back from you. He so wants to overwhelm your life and overcome your faith and overcome your hope that you will just give up and quit allowing the Lord to do anything. But I want you to understand that in fighting prayer, your prayer becomes an offensive weapon against an evil one. In Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, it says, The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. They're not the weapons of this world. In other words, some of you have done your best to fight your own battles. You've created arguments. You've made lists. Reasons why you're right. Reasons why the other person's wrong. And you begin to fight all of these battles and all the human wisdom that you can begin to associate with. And the Lord begins to tell us that in prayer, in fighting prayer, in prayer in partnership with the Holy Spirit, you begin to unleash weapons that this world has never seen, nor does it have any way of defeating. The weapons that we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, we have divine power to demolish strongholds. Now, I want you again to underline some words there. We have divine power to demolish strongholds. When you put these two verses together, the context that's being laid out for us as Christian people in prayer is that we are going to face struggles on this earth. There are going to be situations that are uncomfortable. There's going to be relational difficulty. There's going to be financial difficulty. There's going to be aspects of life that's hard because the enemy's throwing everything at you he can. He's fighting you with rulers and authorities and powers and forces of evil. And then the Lord says, but you and I in partnership. See this together now. But you and I in partnership with the Holy Spirit in prayer begins to take an offensive weapon of prayer and use it in such a way that His divine power demolishes strongholds. He did not say, you're going to de demolish the strongholds, did He? In fact, He makes it very clear that the only way that we can become an overcoming people is in partnership with the power of the Holy Spirit that He has brought to us for this very purpose. There are times when the Holy Spirit will stir us to stand in the gap for someone or something to battle in prayer, to fight or wrestle that the will of God be done. And I've been struggling with this all week long. That the burdens of those that are represented within this congregation and those that my wife and I are praying for that aren't a part of our congregation but are a part of your friendship circles. I've just been challenged in my heart that we have yet to learn what it means to stand and fight in prayer for other people. 
Some of you feel all alone. Some of you have lost loved ones and you've just about given up on And I'm telling you, we as a body of believers need to learn to stand together and begin to fight against the evil one and the power of God's Holy Spirit that we can begin to see strongholds, things that you never thought you'd have victory over, begin to break down because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me share with you a powerful example of this and what this means. Jim Cimbala, who many of you know is the pastor of Brooklyn Tabernacle in New York, wrote of an occasion in his life when he learned more about the partnership of the Spirit than at any other time in his life. He said, our oldest daughter, Chrissy, had been a model child growing up, but around the age of 16, she started to stray. He said, I admit that I was slow to notice this. I was too occupied with the church and starting branch organizations and overseeing projects and all the rest that the ministry entails. Meanwhile, Chrissy not only drew away from us, but also drew away from God. In time, she even left her home. There were many nights when we had no idea where she was, and as the situation grew more serious, I tried everything. I begged with her. I pleaded with her. I scolded her. I argued with her, and I tried to control her with money. Looking back, I recognized the foolishness of my actions because nothing worked. She just hardened more and more. Her boyfriend was everything that we did not want for our child. How I kept functioning through that period, I don't know. Many a Sunday morning, I would put on my suit and I'd go to the car to drive to the tabernacle early. I would get there ahead of Carol, my wife, and he says, I would cry for the next 25 minutes all the way to the church door. God, how am I going to get through these meetings today? I don't want to make myself the center of attention. The people that are coming to our church have problems of their own. They're coming for help and encouragement. But what about me? I'm hanging on by a thread. Oh, God, please. This is my firstborn. This is my Chrissy. And while this was going on, we learned that Carol needed an operation, a hysterectomy. And she tried to adjust afterwards. The devil took the opportunity to come after her and say to her, You have this big choir. You're making albums and you're doing outreaches in Radio City Music Hall and all the rest. Fine. You and your husband go ahead and reach the world for Christ, but I'm going to have your children. I've already got the first one, and now I'm coming after the rest of them. And like any mother who loves her children, Carol was smitten with tremendous fear and distress. Her family means more to her than any choir. And one day she said to me, Listen, we need to leave New York right now, and I'm serious. This atmosphere has already swallowed up our daughter, and we can't keep raising our kids here. If you want to stay, you can, but I'm getting our children out of here. And he said, and she wasn't kidding. I said, Carol, we just can't do that. We can't unilaterally take off without knowing what God wants us to do. Carol wasn't being rebellious. She was just de depressed after the surgery. She elected not to pack up and run after all. And it was at the low point, the lowest that she could get, that she went to the piano one day. And as she sat down and began to play, God gave her a song that has touched more people than perhaps anything else she has ever written. And I invite you to look in your bulletin for the lyrics of the song that she wrote as we show the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir singing, He's Been Faithful. Through every pain 
I wanted you to have the words of this song because I want you to put it in your Bible. Some of you need to be reminded that God is faithful to you. Some of you need to be reminded today that God is bigger than your struggles. He's bigger than your heartaches. He's bigger than any mountain that you're facing this morning. His strength is sufficient for you. And now I want to tell you the rest of the story. After she wrote that song, in the middle of her heartache, one cold Tuesday morning in February during the congregation's prayer meeting. I don't know if you've ever had a chance to be at the Brooklyn Tabernacle prayer meetings on Tuesday night, but there are hundreds. We had to wait in line to get in. Hundreds that attend their prayer meetings. He said, a young woman who was spiritually sensitive had written, Pastor Symbola, I feel impressed that we should stop the meeting and all of us should pray for your daughter. He said, I hesitated. Was it right to change the flow of the circus and focus on my personal need? Yet something in that note seemed to ring true. In a few minutes, I picked up the microphone and I told the congregation what has just happened. He said, the truth of the matter is, although I haven't talked much about it at all, is that my daughter is very far from God these days. She thinks up is down, that down is up, that dark is light and light is dark. But I know that God can break through to her. And so I'm going to ask Pastor Boke's staff to come and lead us in prayer for Chrissy. And I'm going to ask that we would join hands across this sanctuary. And he says, as my associate began to lead the people, I stood behind him with my hand on his back. That my tear ducts by then had run dry, but I prayed the best I knew. And there arose a groaning and a sense of desperate determination as if to say, Satan... You will not have this girl. Take your hands off of her. She's coming back. I was overwhelmed. The force of the vast throng calling upon God almost knocked me over. When I got home that night, Carol was waiting up for me. And we sat at the coffee table drinking coffee. And he says, I looked at her and in a moment I said, it's over. She says, what is over? I said, it's over with Chrissy. If you would have been at the prayer meeting tonight, I tell you, if there's a God in heaven, this nightmare is finally over. And then I tried to describe to her what had taken place. Thirty-two hours later, Thursday morning, I was shaving. Carol suddenly burst through the door. Her eyes were wide open, and she says, go downstairs. She blurted, Chrissy is here. Chrissy's here, I said. Yes, downstairs. Go downstairs right now. I said, but Carol, I've got stuff all over me. She goes, just go downstairs. With my heart pounding, I began to wipe off my face and I rounded the corner. And I saw my daughter on the kitchen floor, rocking on her hands and knees, sobbing. And cautiously, I spoke to her. Chrissy? And she grabbed my pant leg and began pouring out her anguish. Daddy, Daddy, I've sinned against God. I've sinned against myself. I've sinned against you and mommy. Please forgive me. My vision was clouded by the tears as they began to flow down my face. And I pulled her up from the floor and I held her close as we cried together. And suddenly she drew back and she said with a start, Who was praying for me? Daddy, who was praying for me? 
And she said, and her voice was such a power of cross-examination that I said to her, what do you mean? She goes, on Tuesday night, Daddy, who was praying for me? I didn't say anything, and so she continued. She goes, in the middle of the night, God woke me up, and He showed me I was heading toward this abyss, and there was no bottom to it, and it scared me to death, and I was so frightened, and I realized how hard I had been, and how wrong I had been, and how rebellious I had been. But at the same time, it was like God wrapped His arms around me and held me tight, and He kept me from sliding any farther than I had already gone. And He whispered into my ear, Chrissy, I still love you. Daddy, she said, tell me the truth. Who was praying for me Tuesday night? I looked into her bloodshot eyes, and once again I recognized the daughter we had raised. Chrissy's return to the Lord became evident immediately, and by that fall, God had opened a miraculous door for her to enroll in Bible college, where she not only undertook studies, but soon was directing music groups in a large choir, just like her mother. And through this all, Carol and I learned, never before, the persistent calling upon the Lord to break every stronghold, and it can only be done in partnership with the Holy Spirit in prayer. Today, Chrissy and her husband are in ministry. What would have happened to Chrissy if a sensitive prayer had not felt and responded to the stirring of the Holy Spirit to fight in prayer? What would have happened to Chrissy if her parents and the church had not labored for her in prayer? The Holy Spirit stirs us to prayer. Stirs us to prayer. Some of you need to be stirred in prayer. For those that you have long given up on, that you didn't think the Lord could reach them anymore. You prayed for so long and you just didn't think it was going to happen and you've just given up and said, you know what, they're going to have to choose and they'll have to suffer their own consequences. Some of you have battled sickness and illness that have been chronic and to the point where you've prayed and prayed in the past. You said, it's just not going to happen. I'm going to have to live this way. I've got a friend of mine that's a new believer that's battling leukemia who called me as Cindy and I are going in for our anniversary dinner to say that the doctors have said, got 14 to 28 days left to live because the medical procedures have not worked. I went through this period of sadness, of just sadness. I'm saying, Lord, why is it that in all of these struggles, it seems that we get overcome so easily? And He began to raise up in my spirit because we've not yet learned to fight with the Spirit in prayer for the things that we need to see God do within our lives. And I'm calling you today. That we can talk all we want and we can look at the Scripture, but it's time that we take the Word and begin to apply it in a newfound prayer life that begins to say, Lord, we are not going to quit praying because I need You to unleash the power of the Spirit in the spiritual realm to begin to demolish strongholds. We do not have to live sad lives. We do not have to live with the idea that this is the best it's going to be. There's something greater.
greater for us if we'll take hold of the horns of the altar and begin to seek God with a persistent prayer that we want the anointing to begin to fall until change takes place in our families and in our lives and in the healing of bodies because God said it, we can grab hold of it because He's our prayer partner. And I'm going to ask our ministry team to please come. And I've asked them to lead us in the two the final two songs that we sang this morning during our worship time. And I'm going to ask every one of you to get out of your seats and come down and stand in the front. And I don't care whether you're a part of our church or not. This is an opportunity to just stand in the presence of the Lord and begin to endear the qualities of His Spirit within your life that He can begin to partner with you. Stand with me, please, and just begin to find a place. If you're comfortable in the aisle, that's fine. If you want to come along the front. But we are going to take a few moments to sing and worship our God and begin to let Him build a boldness within our spirit that we are going to believe for breakthroughs in our families. We're going to begin to believe for healing. We're going to begin to believe for marriages that need healing to take place. Don't give up too easy. Don't say that this is just the way it's going to be. Because my God is faithful. And when you're at the bottom, He will reach down and grab hold of you. And He will hold you. And if you've been running from God and you're sliding into the abyss, the Lord will put His arms around you and draw you back. He's faithful. He's faithful.